welcome back. You're here with uh, you're here with Pod Fathers John and Zach. Welcome to another episode of the First Read Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, where we break down Bendis's iconic run on Ultimate Spider-Man issues one through one hundred and sixty in Earth sixteen ten. How's it going today, Zach? How was your Christmas? It's going good. Uh, yeah, listeners, you're going to get this with a bit of a delay. I don't even know what month it'll be when you hear this, but uh, it is the day after Christmas for us. Um, and I had a good one. How about you, John? It was great. Should, should I not have pulled back the curtain on that? Should no, we, it's should fine. We pretend we're, <laughs> we're current. <laughs> we're uh, real people living in your past. We, yeah. we have... <laughs> things going on that are not going to be relevant to you when you hear this so just bear bear with that keep that in mind and stay on the ride or don't stop listening yeah. if <laughs> if us talking about christmas triggers you listen up libs take that woke moralist <laughs> we'll see who cancels who but yeah so how was your festivus it was great it was, uh, I had a good Festimus, a good Christmas. Elizabeth and I each got um, each other some really nice gifts. The cats and dogs got a bunch of toys, so it was fun. Good. Yeah, that's what it's about, material possessions. <laughs> yeah, we didn't think about Jesus at all. <laughs> yeah, there were no lessons to be learned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that that's great. Do you, do you have anything else you want us to uh, get into here, or... Um, Are we ready? I do have a correction. I noticed this um, from last week's pod. I just made myself look like a goofball, and you probably Uh caught it and were like, what's he talking about? Um, So my hometown paper is called the Daily Journal, and Uh. there there was like at least one occasion where I called the Daily Bugle the Daily Journal. And so anyone from outside of my one little town would hear that and be like, this idiot doesn't know what paper he's talking about. But that's I, why I, I did catch that afterwards. I, I told Elizabeth, we were laughing about it. I said, I cannot believe what an idiot Zach is that he would do that. Totally unqualified for this job that I gave myself. <laughs> um, well, nice. No, I didn't catch that at all. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I'm also totally unqualified. It would seem. <laughs> we're figuring it out together i just wanted to make sure our you know three listeners including our moms uh yeah. are well informed about spider-man content and well, aren't getting the <clears throat> hack job that we've been giving them so far well i think if i would choose to tell my students that i do a spider-man podcast it would be the most popular podcast at the school but I'm not sure if I want them walking around being like, I heard your podcast the other day. No. All right. Thank you, Percy. Are we in? Welcome on, caller. You're on uh, the First Read Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. What's your name? Hey, it's John. I need a way for my cat to stop unplugging my computer when I'm trying to do stuff. He's already on the naughty list for next year. All right. So, so... <clears throat> Where did I leave you at? Um, you were talking about your students. Well, we don't need to talk about that anymore. Okay. <laughs> Enough said. Did you, so so what were you up to today? What post uh, Christmas stuff did you get down to? 
Oh yeah, wow. So f- for for anyone who cares about Zach and I's personal lives, we were supposed to record this much earlier in the day. And um John cracked my, the bed. My <laughs> well, Zach, you're a married guy also. So you know sometimes, you know, uh, the mother-in-law shows up and and we've got to, we've got to do married guy things. So um, my wife and I hung out with her mom and we kind of did Christmas with her and we we just got finished watching Christmas Vacation. Mm, Great movie. Very great movie. Yeah, I'm just giving you crap. I ended up being busy the whole day, too. I made my kitty cats a new tower because they're chunk monsters and they broke the last one. Amazing. Yeah. What what craftsmanship you must have to be able to build it yourself. I was pretty proud. I didn't require any tools other than an Allen wrench, but, you know, still feel like a man. Ah, so you're putting one together. You're not building one. No, it came in a box. Okay. (laughs) That's building in a sense. (laughs) Assembling. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been dying talk about spider-man all day you might even be able to tell that i do love spider-man and i love christmas by the mug spider-man christmas with with my disney spider-man mug that i got that i'm rocking for the third week in a row guess what's in this mug zach bailey's (laughs) you son of a gun My parents gave Shiloh a little <laughs> bottle of Bailey's for Christmas this year, and it was very surprising because they're not usually the cool parents like that. Well, I mean, I love my parents, but they're not they're not <laughs> they not give out alcohol at Christmas type of parents. Never up until yeah. this year. And they only gave it to her, which was weird. It's like you trying to insinuate something. <laughs> Saying my wife has a problem. That's 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 what Elizabeth has done to my family also, because she we do not drink at family get togethers or we didn't. And then she'd start bringing like champagne for mimosas for stuff in the morning or like wine. And now we get stuff like that also where my dad will give us like a thing of a big thing of like fireball hearts for Valentine's Day or something like that. And it's like. We just like to drink. We don't only drink, you know? Yeah. But it is Bailey's. That was a good guess. Bailey's and coffee. We got a pretty big bottle and we've been flying through it. Oh, you're serious? Yeah. Wow. Am I Professor Xavier? <laughs> so I've got one other little story before we get into our, you know, funny books. I can't um, wait. So I've been snoring a lot lately. Uh, and oh. it's driving Shyla crazy. I was going to say, it's got to be tough for her. It's so tough. So I've been doing the like nose strips, you know, but those only work to a certain extent. So I was looking into uh, like mouth guards that stop you from snoring. And there are so many on the marketplace and I couldn't figure out which one to get. There were a few that were like pretty similar and had pretty similar ra- ratings and reviews. And you know what I did? I don't know. I don't have a clue. I hopped on over to Better Business Bureau website, BBB.com, and I found one of the sellers that was accredited and had an A rating. So I went with their mouthpiece, and guess what? Snoring is totally gone. Shiloh's getting the best night's sleeps of her life. 
Yeah, and I was able to buy with confidence knowing that I was getting it from a reputable seller. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I love it. Yeah. And uh, thank you to the Better Business Bureau for sponsoring this podcast and for helping me figure out how to stop snoring and find a product I can trust. And it sounds like fixing your marriage as well, if I could be so bold. It is not an overreach to say that the Better Business Bureau (laughs) literally fixed my marriage. Well, there you go. I think <laughs> I think that that says about it all. All right. Hey, John, why don't you give us a recap of what we uh, talked about last week? Yep, absolutely. So last week we uh, we followed some Kingpin. We met up with Kingpin's goons and um, Kingpin kills Mr. Big. It gets recorded. Spider-Man gets those tapes. He shows it to the Daily Journal. Bugle. (laughs) Um, And Kingman has to go away to a remote island and his and his lawyer says, you know, he's going to he's going to get him off, but it's going to take some time. So we had some good episodes or good episodes, good issues. it looks like, yeah, we've got some crushed facial bones and was there um, a, a tease? late classes. Was there a tease somewhere in there about um, maybe Peter and MJ? Yes, there absolutely was. I think the very end of the last issue we were on, Peter calls her and says he has something very important to tell her. And I've got to be honest, when we jump into this next one, which I think you're going to recap for us, right? Yeah. I'm okay. sure you have some thoughts on it too, though. Well, I definitely do. But but I thought this next issue was going to take place between the time when he told her that and when she comes over. Because I was thinking something would go wrong and he wouldn't get to actually sit down and talk to her. So I was pretty, you know, even by the episode opening, I was like, oh, wow, we're already here. This is not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's I think it's a real treat for both of us and a real treat for all the listeners out there. Um, it brings us into Ultimate Spider-Man issue 13, written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Mark Bagley and inked by Art to Bear. So as John was alluding to, Peter and Mary Jane are sitting on his bed in his room and the first three whole pages are just uh they're just back and forth shots of peter and mary jane and just their faces looking at each other i was i was trying to think of the like film term for that but yeah it's just spent by him nervously trying to start the conversation and he can't find the words he makes mj promise that uh she won't tell anyone and she does make that promise and then when he finally does get it out and he says i'm spider-man She doesn't believe him and laughs so hard she falls off his bed. He tells her to whisper and says, I knew I was going to have to do this. And then he jumps up and like sticks onto his bedroom wall and crawls onto his ceiling. And we look back at MJ and her jaw just drops. And Peter asks her, are you okay?" And she screams and starts crawling backwards on the floor. (laughs) John, what did what what'd you think of that about that? Just the 
reaction and the fact that it happened uh, so soon? I know you alluded to having some thoughts about that. Um, well, I, I didn't think we were actually going to get the reveal because I was like, that'll be a constant thing that comes up throughout the entire run is like, he doesn't know if he should tell MJ or not. And then it, it just happened right away, which I did like, I do have some thoughts on this issue that I can say for the end about the amount of panels that are just their faces looking back and forth to each other the entire issue um so i thought you know maybe it could have you probably didn't need the whole three pages looking back and forth like you said to start um but i but i liked a lot i liked mj laughing so hard she fell off the bed that was great yeah i i was cheesing last week when you said oh, surely he's not going to be able to tell her. It's not going to happen this soon because <laughs> it's a classic Spider-Man thing, like him having all this angst about, oh, I'm Spider-Man, but no one can know. I can't tell anyone and like trying to hide it from his girlfriends and whatever. And yeah. in this universe, that's just not what happens at all. Like yeah. we get through the first year of publication and then in the 13th issue, they're just like, okay, we're done with that. Yeah. I love it personally. Um, so after MJ screams, uh, Peter jumps back onto the bed and he's like trying to shush her and reminds her that Aunt May is home. And then almost on cue, Aunt May yells upstairs that she doesn't want any hanky panky going on up there. Amazing writing. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I would hope. Um, Aunt May would call it. Yeah. Uh, and he yells back down, we're studying. And May just like says, you can kind of tell it's under her breath. Yeah. And I'm Katie Couric. <laughs> and we see MJ's facial expression change from shock to a smile. And uh, she asks how it happened. And he tells her it was the spider at the field trip. And she remembers um, that it almost bit her too. And she jokes, I could have been Spider-Man too. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Just the, where their minds go. It's so funny because you can tell they're like 15 year olds. That's where like, yours would go immediately too, though, right? You'd be like, that almost bit me. I'm the one that brushed it onto you. Well, and even him like, oh, I got to keep this a secret from Aunt May. I need to protect my identity and everything. But this girl that I have a crush on telling her I'm Spider-Man, that that might go a long way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, I, ju I just think it's so funny that that's I mean, it, it doesn't say it, but you can tell that was like his mental calculus. Yeah, well, he does explain that he tells her because he thinks he's been like treating her kind of badly and having to cancel their dates and everything like that but you could have yeah. made up a different excuse probably he's gaining some self-awareness with how to deal with women yeah yeah uh she asks him to take her swinging and he says no it's too dangerous and then she says can i see your costume and he says oh it's downstairs in the lab and she just gets excited again and starts jumping up and down on the bed while laughing which makes it squeak and he tells her to quiet down again. 
And she asks, why don't you tell everyone? And he explains that he doesn't want to worry May or bring any danger to the people in his life. And she asks why he told her. And this is what we were, we were getting at. He says, because I've been hurting your feelings lately because of all of this, you deserve the tr- to know the truth. And I just needed to tell you. Oh, yeah. Uh, MJ says it all makes sense now, and she's honored that Peter told her. And he says, yeah, duh, you're my best friend. And they look at each other for a long while. And MJ says, wow. And to think I and to think I thought you were just going to kiss me. Ooh, that's what she thought this whole meeting was about. And he says, and you came up here anyways. And she gets kind of looks kind of shy and she says, yeah, I guess I did. And then we just see some panels of them getting increasingly closer to each other. And just as their lips are about to touch, she says, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot, which. John, do you know, like the history of that phrase? Um, So I was thinking, is this the first time we, we have him? we hear him called tiger in In this run at the very least. Yes, I believe it is. Okay. But I think we did hear that in some of the other origin stories we read. Maybe, maybe, maybe trying to think if she was in some of those. I know Sarah Jane was in one of them, but, um, (laughs) Face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot is like the first line we ever see MJ say in the main Spider-Man series, like back in the 60s. So that's kind of like her famous line. So they've had variations of that. Oh, that's cool. Definitely in the Tobey Maguire movies and in cartoons and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, she says, go get him, Tiger, all the time. Yeah, that's a reference to this. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, so um, before they can kiss, Aunt May knocks on the door and she says she has Mary Jane's mom on the phone. And Peter's like, I didn't hear the phone ring. And Aunt May tells him it didn't. I called her. And MJ takes the phone and starts yelling into it. Hello, mom. We weren't. We were not. No, (laughs) no, we were studying. (laughs) And she says she has to leave. And Aunt May makes a comment about hoping they're being safe. And as MJ walks out, she and Peter make plans to talk on the phone later. And with MJ gone, uh, Aunt why May, does MJ, do you know why MJ had to leave? What her what she got called home to do? I mean, I think there's um, no, they tell you they say why. Why? I, she had, I didn't catch that. She has to go home and empty the litter box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the the subtext there is that the parents think something's going on. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really has nothing to That's do. That's why with she's like box. at 430 on a Friday. Yes. You know, I okay, now, yeah. now, Zach, if she had the new litter robot four, where <laughs> it it. it uh, cleans the litter box for you. You'll never have to clean the litter box again. Then she could have got to smooching with Peter Parker a little bit more. Maybe litter robot Four, call us. Yeah. 
<laughs> Give us money. Me money now. <laughs> me money, please. And give me a litter robot four, please. <laughs> At so as MJ uh, is gone, uh, Aunt May tries to tell Peter about the birds and the bees, and he's just mortified. He covers his uh, eyes and ears and tries to end the conversation, and she only drops it when he says Uncle Ben already gave him the talk. And May says uh, that MJ, she's a special girl. I like her, and he says. Me too. And she leaves She leaves his room, and the last thing she says is, you know, your parents met in high school. And he collapses back onto his bed, just grinning at the ceiling. Oh, very cute. Very cute. I I don't know why, but I just, this, uh, this issue just feels nostalgic. Like, it feels like, you know, you're, you got some puppy love again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, yes, I definitely um, I know the feeling of, you know, being alone with a girl I like and nothing happening. So, yeah, I definitely understand this issue. Yeah, I mean, who can't relate to that? Yeah, especially, I, this, you know, reading comics. <laughs> um, OK, so what what do you think of this one? You want to give me a, a review and then I do have a rating system for us, of course. OK. My review is I have been looking forward to this issue since we started the pod. I think it's so important uh, for Peter to just rip the bandaid off and at least have one person know his secret early on in the series, because I think it opens up so much more room for other stories than just, Oh God, no one can know. Oh, here comes my girlfriend. I got to change into my Spidey suit away from her. Like it just frees him up and it frees the yeah. story and it breaks with tradition in a good way. Um, this is one of my favorites in the whole series. All right, buckle up. <laughs> oh, are you about to tear it down? <laughs> um, I love hearing about your opinion. That's why I asked you to go first, by the way, when I just said, give me your opinion on it, because I wanted to hear what you had to say about it before I said my thing. And I didn't think about any of that, you know, that that's really what this issue is about is him telling her he's Spider-Man and it does free up so much in the future. Um, and I thought to me, it seems like this issue could have been, a conversation in another issue. If we eliminate all of the panels where nothing's happening, they're just looking at each other. Um, which, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't read those so quickly, but it's just looking at pictures. So I'm kind of just like going through it, looking for the next text to actually read, you know, I'm just like, okay, picture of Peter, picture of MJ, picture, you know, Oh, they're getting more nervous. Okay. Say something. Um, so I just thought this, this could have been, you know, four or five pages. And instead it was a 22, 23 page issue. Um, and you would have generally gotten the exact same thing out of it. So, so I, I said, you know, not a lot happens. I gave it two out of five smooches with Mary Jane. So, you know, what's funny. I feel like you and I, what we read obviously was the same. I feel like our perceptions of it, 
in some ways are not that different, but what you just uh, put into words is kind of the criticisms that have followed Bendis about his writing style, his whole career. When we talk about um, his storytelling style and how he stretches things out and tries to build tension and tries to like fill in space with just like little character bits. There are people who, and I'm definitely one of them who see that as just like candy. And then there are other people who say, that was so unnecessary. You could have done more with less. And I think you've liked most of what you've read so far in this series, but absolutely. This is probably one of those issues where people started thinking that started saying that. And I think it's interesting that that was your take on it because I mean, there's definitely like some, you know, valid criticism there. If, if that's not your style, I think it could also just be, you know, the medium of a comic just hits different than like the medium of a TV show or a movie, because I'm not sure it is a fair criticism to say you shouldn't have shots that go back and forth between the two people. So you can really see, you know, what emotion they're saying, because if you watch a movie, you get shots like that all the time and good actors, you know, can convey different emotions without saying anything, obviously. So you can know what they're feeling, but it feels like with a comic, um, I don't know. I just show me them one time, you know, I get it. They're nervous. It, it feels like a lot of extra work for the person drawing the comic is, is really what it seems. It's like, can't you just draw this one time and move on to the, the next bit? Do we have to look at that? You know, take three, but but I don't know. I, I have re- really liked all of the issues and even this one that I didn't like as much. I still liked it overall. You know, that is another good point that you hit on is the extra work for the artist, <laughs> because famously the hardest thing to make compelling in comics is like the talking head scenes. And I think the number one thing that kind of separates the like top tier superhero comic artists from the ones that never get hired at like Marvel and DC are the great ones can make those talking scenes still seem interesting. And I mean, you're right. Mark Bagley, all he had to work with in this issue was just talking. And I think there are some images where it like her face won't change that much, like from one panel to the next. And that's like meant to show us time passing, but then there's others where it's like you can tell exactly what she's thinking based yeah, off the expression, 100%. not based off of anything that's being said. So a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think I like the new ones there. I think, yeah, I think I know that a lot of the series and a lot of superhero comics in general is going to be fights and action and heroics or whatever. And to me, this reads as just like, you know, something different, a departure. But yeah. if you're looking at it in a vacuum, just as one issue, I think everything you've said is also valid. And, you know, there's reasons people could dislike it. Yeah. But well, what, what, did, what did you give it? Probably five so, out of five smooches with Mary Jane. Yeah, I'm giving it a five. This is, okay. <laughs> this is what I look for. I like the character work. And I like how this sets up the status quo for the rest of the book. 
Yeah, I I didn't think about it like that, and and that is definitely um, you know, an interesting way to think about it, especially if you've read a million different series where every time you know he's going to tell Mary Jane eventually, and this is like the issue where he does it. So it, it is kind of one to look forward to. But I think it's fair that you don't think of it that way because, you know, what we're asking of ourselves is rate this comic, rate this individual issue. And yeah. if you look at it without that context, it probably does read differently. Well, my notes for that one were about half a page. And my notes for this next one are about a page and a half. So Ooh. I think he, I think Bendis got to work on this next one, writing a bunch of stuff going on, you know, versus just sitting in Peter's bedroom, the entire issue. Um, so issue 14 written by Brian, Michael Bendis penciled by Mark Bag- Bagley inked by art to bear. Peter Parker is sitting in his class and his teacher tells them in one week, you will come in here and be a superhero. So the students have an assignment that they are going to pretend like they are a superhero. They can make one up or they can choose one that's, they say, popping all around Midtown, popping up all around Midtown. Um, Or they can even be a mutant if they want to. But they need to come in, explain who they are, what their powers mean to them. And Peter and MJ are making cute eyes at each other the entire time the teacher's talking so so zach i know i'm a teacher and you're married to a teacher what do you think of this assignment i am trying to figure out what class this would even be relevant to language arts it's gotta be english language because they're gonna I, i that's what i would think maybe social studies i was gonna say i could see like sociology or psychology oh i guess they are in high school so so they're not such kind of cut and dry classes. But I would think that this would be a English language arts type of class where you have to do a speech or a presentation or um, a social studies type of class. I was going to say, but to fulfill like what standard? I don't know. I guess psychology, that would make sense. Like when they say you're just like superheroes. That's the kind of thing I would do. Like when they say um, at the end of this class, students will be able to and then there's some like applicable life skill that the state determined. I don't see the state of New York having one that says, oh, students need to become a superhero for a day. But that's not the assignment. The assignment (laughs) is to come up with a set of powers for yourself or take one from someone else and to be like, what do his powers mean to him? Like if you were looking at Captain America and you were like, man, if I was Captain America, what am I fighting for? You know? Oh, well, obviously I could do this all day. You know, I know that, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, think I don't know. I'm just ready. messing around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think this is probably a psychology class. I think you're right. Okay. All right. Well, if you you're a teacher, if you think this vibes that this is like something that would get assigned, I can roll with that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll sign it when we get back from break. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Math I class. Hope, I hope you're a superhero. <laughs> I hope your kids do listen to this and hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> um so Peter and MJ aren't paying attention. They're making cute eyes at each other the whole time. Then 
And there are a lot of scene jumps in this issue. So we then we move to two scientists and they're working on a person who's kind of unconscious. We don't really know it at the time, but it ends up being Doc Ock. Spoilers. Real, real quick. Can I point out one more thing about the classroom yes, scene? Of course. This issue canonically proves that Kong Harlan has the best music taste in the whole school <laughs> dude is wearing a slipknot shirt in this scene and he's not even done for the issue. He's got That's another, funny. he's got another great shirt later. That is absolutely something I would never notice. <laughs> I, I just had to do it. Had to point it out. If they wear a Lincoln parks shirt later on, I'll notice that one. It's the early two thousands. Everyone was yeah. in metal. <laughs> um, Okay, good. When I get to the next part where he's in a different shirt, interrupt me. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> um, so we, we move to two scientists. They're working on Doc Ock. Um, and they are just kind now of talking about what they were doing this weekend. Yep. Now that's Otto Octavius of Oscorp, right? Yes, yes, it's Otto Octavi Octavius of Oscorp because he was. We saw him. He's in been like the unconscious. First few yes, yeah. so he was doing the experiment with Norman uh, when that when Oscorp blew up, and everyone presumed that Otto Octavius died. But I guess he's been here, kind of under watch, and we learn a little bit more about that um, later on this issue. But these scientists, they're kind of just. They're going about their daily routine of kind of watching this unconscious man and and just kind of watching over him, monitoring what's happening. And, and they're just talking about what they did this weekend. And I don't know who Ashley Judd is as an actress, but she was kind of catching some strays and Molly Ringwald caught some strays. Also, apparently these two scientists don't like her, the, either of them in their movies very much. Yeah, they're talking about actresses in movies they hate, and they start dissing Molly Ringwald like that's a valid opinion to ever have. And and, and Ashley Judd, um, which when I read this, I looked up. Oh, I found out what what movie it was that she was in. Um, so the Ashley Judd movie from that year would be Someone Like You. If if this came out in two thousand and one, then it'd be Someone Like You, which I didn't look up what that is because I wasn't interested enough to go that deep. <laughs> I mean, at least it inspired the Adele song. Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of harsh of Brian Michael Bendis to just throw in his criticisms of these actresses and like a one off of scientists talking. But it's his comic. He can write it how he wants. Um, so we learn the man they're watching. It's Dr. Otto Octavius. He wakes up when he hears one of the doctors refer to him as Dr. Octopus. And he kind of flies into a rage. He doesn't really know what's happening. Uh, he says, why did you call me that? And he, he's got a sheet over his eyes, so he can't really see what's going on. And he's unaware at the moment that he has a bunch of arms attached to him. So he has no idea why they would refer to him as Dr. Octopus. He's also ripped beyond ripped the <laughs> yeah. yeah. He looks like Dave yeah. Batista on an operating table. Now I need to look up who, who played Otto Octavius and the Alfred Molina. That's right. This yeah. is not your Alfred Molina Doc Ock. <laughs> this is Dave Batista Doc Ock. Um, so we're back then at the school pep rally 
Man, the kids are complaining about this superhero assignment. Kong asks if anyone's going to go as Spider-Man. And we get some truly phenomenal high school dialogue here. (laughs) Flash tells Kong, you're so gay for Spider-Man. And then Flash says he's going to go as a big horny mutant. (laughs) Which is objectively hilarious. (laughs) I mean, there are mutants with horns. That's probably what he meant. I think that's the double entendre. I think that I think that is just such a funny like way of phrasing that <laughs> I'm gonna go as a big horny mutant. <laughs> um so also, do you have any do you have any thoughts on any of that the the you're so gay for Spider-Man thoughts? I didn't know if we wanted to 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 get politically correct in this or anything. But my thoughts are it's he's right in high school dialogue and that's pretty spot on. For the for the early 2000s, yeah, that's what people would have said. It yeah. does not age well now. Um I feel like we have to we have to be responsible hosts and point out whenever something has not aged well. <laughs> Um, well, so, th- so this that- is dialogue that you heard in every teenage movie back then. I mean, if yeah, it's it's what they would have been saying and hearing. And- I don't think it's Bendis endorsing that, but no, no way. Yeah, he's he's also making Flash. That's it's not like he's got Peter Parker saying this stuff, you know. So That's true. It's, it's kind of like the it's always sunny argument where they're he's supposed to be a bad character. So if he has says things that are questionable, that's the point, you know, that is true. It's a disreputable narrator. Yeah. But I think I'm going to go as a big horny mutant made me out loud laugh. And it still does when I reread it. (laughs) I mean, mutants are the horniest people in the Marvel universe. (laughs) That's a fact. 100%. Listen to the Cerebro pod or Jay and Miles if you need yeah. more evidence. <laughs> um, so Kong says that they should. I guess maybe they're talking about mutants here. Maybe I like miss. Oh, Flash says he's going to go as a mutant. And Kong says that they should, quote, do something about the mutants or keep an eye out about the mutants. And Peter kind of flies off the handle and says, that's what the Germans said about the Jews. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> I think he's addressing, like, th- these teenagers are starting the walk their, towards their fascism. Are all over the place. Yeah, this is like the alt-right dialogue before the alt-right existed. Like, they should be put in check. <laughs> it reminds me of... I mean, you're right. Peter is right with his comment he's making, but it kind of reminds me of someone on the internet who hears something and they're like, oh, so you're a Nazi. Okay. And it's like, calm down. All right. No one was saying that. Uh, but maybe Kong was saying, you know, he, he kind of was. And we, we do know that there's some mutant hate. But Kong brings up a good point and says, well, yo, the Jews never had red laser beams shooting out of their eyes. Did you just Kong make some valid points, me? <laughs> yeah, that's like the Onion article where it says the worst person you know just made a good point or something like that. There's been a lot of really like thoughtful and interesting conversations 
that you can find on the internet about like the mutant metaphor in X-Men and what it means like in terms of real world politics and like when we're talking about marginalized groups and this actually does hit on a point that a lot of people have brought up about in this way like the mutant metaphor is flawed because they have powers that make them able to like resist like corrupt law enforcement or hate groups or you know anyone that would like show up at their house or try and start a fight and that's not something that there's a real world analogy for so i think there's some depth excuse me there's some depth to just this stupid like offhand comment that a high schooler makes in terms of discussions that people have had about what com like what comics mean on like a political level yeah and and we even kind of talked about that back in the episode where spider-man meets wolverine and the lady is scared of mutants because she thinks they're dangerous and then wolverine and saber to show up and like wreck the train station and it's like they they are kind of dangerous so it's not yeah they shouldn't be marginalized of course but it's not a one-to-one that they're just some like helpless group of people for this not being an x-men book we get a lot of introspection into like oh, yeah. mutant issues oh yeah um so some girls listening to this conversation all the students are having she's just standing against the wall looking cool and tough and and um is talking about something that i could like hardly follow along with like dinosaurs and the meteor and 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 you know kong kind of she's explaining how kong thinks that we are like the dinosaurs and the mutants are the meteor and every, you know, all of a sudden we'll just be extinct, just like the dinosaurs have. And she's like, because there's these super powered people, right? And, but what is power, Zach? Because man, if you have a passion, man, like if you're into music, music is your superpower. Yeah. Or maybe guitars or yeah, math is your superpower. And <laughs> she's just stoned. For she sure. reminds me of <laughs> Jim Ursay. That's it, funny. In that way. You know, when he gets on his little tangents. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's really funny. Um, yeah. She, what, I can't even think of what she reminds me of. But just the just just the just the stereotypical like stoned person who's like, what is power though? Like, but it's supposed to be like this, like galaxy brained, like in as far as high schoolers would see it, it's like this galaxy brained, like deep monologue from this yeah. girl that was just like off in the shadows that they weren't really paying attention to. But she's like this yeah. hot, hot blonde, like punk rock chick. And it's Miss Gwen Stacy, we find out. Um, and she walks she gives her big speech and then she just kind of walks away and peter and kong both look at her and i said they look like they're in love now i don't know if that's what you got also because i, I you know peter better not be two timing on mary jane yeah i thought of that too i had forgotten this panel and like how she was introduced and how specifically he's drawn like with his eyes like popping out like wow and 
when I read that again, I thought, man, Peter, I don't, I don't like this I for know. you. You and MJ <laughs> just got to a really good place. Exactly. He like yesterday and everything. <laughs> like um, it's not even been 24 hours, dude. Yeah. Just <laughs> stick to the making, one girl. You were making eyes at MJ in class like 45 minutes ago. Exactly. Um, so we go back to the lab, uh, Otto Octavius wakes up. He's being treated by Hank Pym. Um, I don't know if he's Ant-Man in this or if that's a thing, but uh, I, I do like the world building. So I don't think that's actually supposed to be Hank Pym because there is a Hank Pym in the ultimate universe. And this it's the, he doesn't end up dead from this scene. Well, that's what I, I put in there. I don't know if this means Hank Pym is dead or not, but it's Dr. Pym. He says Dr. Pym for sure. He's, he says it. I don't know why Bendis used that name. Interesting. With and then knew that like Hank Pym was going to appear in Ultimates like a year later, or maybe he didn't know. Well, um, he's he's being treated by Doctor Pym, Hank Pym's and, brother. Yeah, Frank <laughs> Frank Pym, Jim Jim Pym, Frank Pym, <laughs> Jim Frank um, Pym, Bob, and. He barely remembers the accident at the lab. Otto Octavius does. He doesn't know what the arms are. um, And he starts to freak out. And the arms kind of start swinging around wildly. Uh, And then we go back to the pep rally. And now Peter's with MJ. They're kind of watching the pep rally. And they're, they're moving their hands just a little bit closer and closer together. Until they're just barely touching at the pep rally. And I'll tell you what. That did bring back some memories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like being scared to hold your girlfriend's hand. Yeah. Or touch hands at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> inch closer and closer so as to, like, yeah. eliminate the risk. A hundred percent. Um. So they finally touch hands. And now we are back at the lab. Um. The doctors are sp- explaining to Doc Ock that... His metal arms fuse to him and he seems to be able to control them. And they've kind of been studying the situation. They mentioned Reed Richards is even writing a paper on it. And Doc Ock is becoming increasingly mad because what they are effectively telling him is we could have removed these arms from you when it happened if we wanted to, but it is so interesting that they fuse so perfectly that we're just studying it instead, uh, which I can kind of understand. I'm not saying it's right, but I can understand where the scientists are coming from. And, you know, does that make Reed Richards kind of a bad guy? Cause he's writing a paper on this. I'm going to spoil something for you that doesn't, it doesn't ever come up in this series, but the ultimate universe, Reed Richards is not just a bad guy. He might be one of like the worst guys in the Marvel multiverse. Really? Yeah. Jim from the office. <laughs> the same. Wow. Wow. Um, so Doc Ock flips out uh, and he starts attacking the doctors. It is very similar, I thought, to the Spider-Man 2 scene in the operating room when... Um, he is freaking out and killing everyone. Uh, which My I guess is that inspired this inspired that. 
Definitely it did. It's it's yeah, it's very, very similar. That scene also has a ton of like Sam Raimi, uh, you know, directing things that you'd find in Sam Raimi movies. But it for sure is based on this scene in the comic, I think. Yeah. So we then go back to uh, not the pep rally, but back to the high school students. And this time we're with Kong. He's sitting on his bed. He's thinking about the superhero project and like a scene from the usual suspects or some other mystery movie where they put the pieces together in their head. Kong is putting the pieces together that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And one of the pieces he used to put this together is Spider-Man yelling at him about the Jews and the Germans, which I which I thought was kind of funny. He's got all these like images flashing through his head about like, wait, the spider bit Peter and he is good at basketball and all this stuff. And then intercut with that is Peter yelling at him about the Jews and the Germans. (laughs) And he uh, and he just says, whoa. And then the issue ends. And. I might add, he's wearing a no effects shirt. Of course, I forgot that we were going to get another Kong. <laughs> One of the t-shirt. great punk rock bands of all time. And they're uh, they're actually breaking up next year. They're doing their last tour, their last 40 shows. And I'm hoping I can make it out to one or two of those. Well, if I know you at all, I'm sure you'll be there. <laughs> With bells and, on. And, and crowd surfing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Zach's not allowed to crowd surf anymore. That's uh, it's issue. Sta- that's an order from his wife. <laughs> it's stage dive. I can't stage dive. Stage, stage dive. Yeah. So I thought this one was pretty good. I thought a lot happened in it. It was way quicker paced than the last one. And especially, I think, reading them back and forth. I mean, this moves at like a breakneck speed because you're in class and then you're at the pep rally and then you're in the lab and then you're back at the pep rally and in the lab and you know back at the pep rally and then you're at kong and it's just versus the last issue which was set in one place the entire time so um i liked it a lot i think i like issues where there's a bit more dialogue and moving the plot forward um than issues where that doesn't happen whether it's because Peter and MJ are making eyes at each other the whole issue or there's just a big fight going on the whole issue you know so but something like this I really liked I gave it a solid six out of eight metal arms I like it um I think I I mean you're right I it had a solid <laughs> a plot and a solid B plot neither of them really you know finished themselves they were just kind of continuations of the story so we're setting up that doc ock is going to be a problem and we're setting up that gwen stacy is now part of the you know high school group and we're setting up that you know kong knows who peter is and that peter and mj are in a relationship um i just thought it was a good continuation of the story i'd also say probably six out of eight metal arms okay he doesn't have eight metal arms, does he? I just thought of that myself as you. A real said. octopus would, but he is not a real octopus. Well, he would have six metal arms, right? And two regular arms. I or think four. He, he has four because he, he has four. four regular limbs. Yeah. What's. What's well, an octopus with six? What What's the. 
well pro- now as a as a math teacher here zach i know that if there's only four metal arms instead of eight based on how fractions work we can change this to three out of four metal arms instead of six <laughs> out of eight metal arms all right let's go fractions <laughs> All right, take us home to issue 15. All right, issue 15, last one of the day. This was written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Art to Bear. We open on a blonde woman doing step aerobics in her bedroom while talking on the phone. And uh, she hears a crash somewhere in her house, and she tells the person on the other side of the call, I gotta go, which... I think is horror movie 101. You don't do when you're home alone and you find out someone else is there. Don't just hang up on your call. If I were home alone and I heard someone breaking in, the first thing I would do is call someone. So I would absolutely not hang up on someone. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Hey, actually I got to go check out this weird crash at my house. That sounded like someone breaking in. I'll call you right back. You know what would really help is fewer witnesses, fewer people on speakerphone, fewer people who I can tell, you know, hey, get in your car and come get me. Yeah. Uh, So she sees the shadow of tentacles with claws at the end of her wall coming up the stairs. And one of the claws rounds the corner and comes face to face with her as she screams. And we cut to Kong at school telling Flash and Liz Peter Parker is Spider-Man. They both think he's crazy, but he tells them to shut up for a second and listen to him. And he reminds them about the spider bite during the field trip. And brings up the broken desks and Peter suddenly being good at basketball. And then this is very funny, but clearly hurts. I'm sure (laughs) it hurts Flash's pride that Kong said Peter was good at basketball. And he says, he wasn't that good. <laughs> that that was so funny. It made me laugh out loud. And I think it is hilarious that Kong is once again for the second episode in a row making some okay points here. He's like, uh, you know, all these things happened. He used to be able to do this, and now he's so good at basketball. And Flash is just like, he's not that. No, he's not. He's not that. I'm good at basketball too. Come on, man. Uh, so Kong keeps going and giving them more examples. And he mentions the time Peter flipped him over him, uh, time he broke Flash's hand and Flash and Liz are still not convinced. And Flash comes up with a test. He suggests he sees Peter bending over into his locker and he tells Kong uh, to kick him in it. And he reasons that if he really is Spider-Man, he'll be able to stop Kong. And sure enough, Peter's spider senses warn him about the incoming danger, but he realizes he has to act helpless to protect his secret identity. So he lets Kong kick him in the butt and flash bursts out laughing. And Peter turns around with tears in his eyes and asks, why did you do that? What's wrong with you? And and before that even happened, he said, okay, something like, okay, now for the Academy award winning performance of, best keeping your secret identity intact or something like that. And then he he spins around about to cry. Uh, 
Kang and MJ both look genuinely shocked because obviously they know Peter actually is Spider-Man. Kong. What'd I say? Kang. <laughs> oh yeah, he's not in this story. Man, I'm tired. We hear uh, fr- someone from out of frame ask, what exactly is your problem, fat boy? Just not a, <laughs> not a nice thing to say, but, you know, bully the bullies, I guess. Say and- what you want about how this type of dialogue ages, but high schoolers are funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Bendis knows how to write them. And I think it's funny who says it because you're like, who you're trying to think for a second. You're like, who said that? And then you flip the page and Gwen Stacy comes up and gets in Kong's face and says, you ever do that again? I'll stick you like the pig that you are. (laughs) And she flips open a switchblade and holds it into his stomach. Like it's awful. (laughs) If this is not if this is not a comic. If this were real life, this would be totally different of how it's hitting me versus the comedy of the scene. It's a scary situation, but it's it's funny because, you know, there's not going to be real consequences. And she walks into a really tense scene and decides to escalate it and take it up to like 11. But she she's also, you know, from her perspective, the the bullies of the school just came up and like kicked this kid pretty hard into his locker. So she's standing up for this little kid, which is nice. She's kind of doing the right thing, but she probably shouldn't bring a knife to school. Gwen Stacy made stu- some valid any points. Students are listening here. <laughs> yeah, this is an anti uh, weapons in school podcast. Don't, don't bring weapons to school. Now, let me be clear. Uh, a teacher walks up to try and break up the fight and Gwen drops her knife and the teacher sees it and says, Stacy, great way to start at your new school. Second day here. And he grabs her by the wrist and leads her presumably to the office. And the scene moves um, to the bedroom of the woman from the beginning of the story. And it's now a crime scene with a chalk outline of a body on the floor and destroyed furniture and windows. And we see police captain Stacy is investigating the scene and gets a phone call about his daughter. And he says, what'd she do this time? So we know she has like some kind of troubled past. And uh, as he walks, she's a huge stoner. We already covered that in the last issue. (laughs) Just steals dad's keys, visits the evidence room a little bit. (laughs) Um, as he walks and talks on the phone, he looks at the walls, which have uh, claw scratches and holes punched through them. And he says he has no idea that she had a knife and he thinks the principal's tone is a little accusatory. Um, and, uh, at this point, Captain Stacy has walked out of the house and we see that the house is surrounded by cops, reporters, and neighbors. And he argues with the principal that he should confiscate the knife and send her back to class for now uh, because no one is home. And if he suspends her for the day, she'll just get into more trouble. And we can tell the principal hangs up on him. He's like, hello, hello. So we know the other end, you know, just went out. 
And Ben Yurick is waiting at the edge of the police tape for Captain Stacy and calls out to him. He introduces himself, but the captain says, I know who you are. Good job on the Kingpin story. And Yurick says, oh, thanks. And Captain Stacy continues, now we have 300 Goombas without anyone to answer to, treating the tri-state area like it's a free-for-all. And Yurick says- Very interesting point. Yeah, that they not- kind of that Jerry Jonah Jameson kind of um, insinuated that would happen without I think- Kingpin, right? Wasn't he the one that said it was Robbie uh, Robertson? Okay, what did he say? What it was seem- the idea of like if you take the Kingpin out, someone else will just fill his yeah. place. Yeah. So now it's, there's just every everyone's running rampant. Yeah, there's like these like gang wars or something for people you know trying to take control but still i i really was expecting him to be genuine about you know thanks for taking out the biggest criminal in our city yeah and then he's not and he says uh yurik says are you serious and captain stacy responds you journalists it's called the big picture look it up i don't agree with that by the like that logic (laughs) that we should just like let the big crime guy stay in power because if we arrest him, then all the little crime guys, that doesn't make sense. You know, I understand his logic of it, but I don't agree with it. He made a case. It was just a stupid case. (laughs) Yeah, but it's the same case Robert Robertson made, right? And it seems to be happening, but I'm just not sure, you know, that's you, know, you, you still got to arrest people when they murder other people on camera. I think that's yeah. important. I want to take a stand. We're taking a stand on this pod listeners. <laughs> Some might not like it, but murderers should go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Or at uh, least a different Island while their lawyer gets them off a less pleasant one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Captain Stacy did not make some valid points. <laughs> So Yurik asks him, what's the story here? And the captain says, don't you have sewer monsters to chase? And he just continues blowing Yurik off as he walks away. And we jump to Spidey stopping a purse robber on the streets. And he says, you, my friend, are exactly what the doctor ordered. I was actually looking for a big bald bully to clock because this purse robber looks exactly like Kong. Oh, do you think that's why he said that? He wanted to yeah. beat up Kong? 100%. That's funny. I thought he was just kind of like being, you know, quippy with the robber or something. Nope. He went and found himself a petty criminal who looked like his bully. That's funny. It is. Um, he tells the robber he's used to fighting guys who can shoot lightning or throw fireballs. So he should get a gimmick so it doesn't look like some. So it doesn't look so one-sided if they ever fight again, which was also funny. Yeah, Uh, I I do like seeing Spider-Man easily dispatch normal people. I think that's important for superheroes to do. You know, if you're going to normally fight other superhero people, the purse snatchers, they should take minimal effort. Oh, yeah, I agree. Not everything can be a boss battle. Yeah. And, uh... He webs the guy to the sidewalk and makes a big grand display as he returns the purse, saying, 
ma'am, it is my pleasure to bring you Tada. I, I don't know why. I, I just watched uh, Glass Onion and I'm imagining him with like a Benoit Blanc. Ben, ben, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc voice. Ma'am, it is my pleasure to bring you Tada. Your purse back intact. Justice has been done and all is good in the world. This crime has clashed with the presence of Spider-Man. I say, I say, I say, here's your purse, (laughs) ma'am. And the woman just grabs her purse and without saying anything, takes off running in the opposite direction. She's just as scared of him as she is the guy that took it. Um, And Peter sees J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson in the crowd. And he approaches Jonah and points at him and says, aren't you the guy printing all that totally made up garbage about me just to sell newspapers? I only have one thing to say to you. And we see Jonah get visibly nervous. And Peter says, love the paper. It's hysterical. As he (laughs) runs up the side of the Daily Bugle building and leaves the scene. Yeah, it's really funny. He, if he didn't get bit by the spider, I think Peter had a future in comedy. Definitely. Like everyone would have said, oh, you're a brilliant scientific mind. Go into, you know, STEM. But he really would have killed it on Comedy Central. Yep. Uh, Jonah admits to Robbie that he thought Spider-Man was going to say or do something else. And Robbie says, maybe he isn't the maniac you want him to be. And I don't, I don't think Jonah is ready to like grapple with that suggestion yet. He says, let's just get inside the building where we're safe from. And then he abruptly face plants. <laughs> And we see that Peter had webbed Jonah's feet to the ground while he was talking to him. Oh, that's what happened. Okay. That's really funny. I wrote J. Jonah Jameson faints, I think. So I must have just missed that. I had to read it a couple different times because I was like, I'm pretty sure there was some causality there, but I didn't see it at first. But if you look, there's webbing around his legs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) So it's like he was standing next to him and like had his finger pointed in his face and had the attention on this hand. And with the other hand down by his side, he gets him in the feet. Yeah, maybe he had a career in magic if he didn't get bit by a spider. Close up misdirection. Close up magic taught by Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taught by um, Frank Pym. So later, Jonah, Robbie, and Ben are meeting in the Daily Bugle office, and Ben is briefing them on what he has so far about a story on daughter, daughter, blah, blah, blah. It happens once an episode, folks. Dr. Otto Octavius. (laughs) And he explains that Octavius was one of the scientists present for the Oscorp experiment explosion, and that he was presumed dead, but Yurik has sources denying this. And he's figured out that um, Otto was affected by the experiment in some way, just like Norman Osborn was. And he's also figured out that the murdered woman had recently moved into Otto's house and he likely murdered her because he showed up there and wasn't expecting to see her there. But he has no proof of any of this and Jonah is skeptical. And then uh, Ben pushes back hard and insists that he knows there's something there. 
and Jonah finally relents and he tells Ben to go get his story about Octavius. And meanwhile, Peter is outside the door listening into their meeting. And on the final page, we see Doc Ock scaling a skyscraper at night and breaking through one of the windows. Ooh, I didn't even remember that. Where is he breaking into? Do we know? Do we have a clue? I looked for clues. I was waiting to see like Oscorp on the side of the building or something. All we know at this point is it's just a skyscraper. And it says next issue, Doc Ock attacks. Ooh, that's a good tease. Um, I thought this was a pretty good one. Um, not, you know, anything phenomenal. I don't have anything bad to say about it either. Um, I just thought it was a good one. You know, I, I like, uh, bouncing around. We get to hear from Captain Stacy and Gwen Stacy and see the kids at school and see the daily bugle and, you know, I thought it was a good one. I love seeing Flash upset about his basketball playing abilities. Yeah. I, I've got three out of five snatched purses. Okay. All right. I uh, I think this is like a continuation of the last issue. I think um, issue, what was that, 14? And this is 15? Yeah. Yep. I think 14 and 15 kind of go together as a pair because like the A plot and the B plot are, you know, the kids meeting Gwen Stacy. We're hearing more about her. Um, we're getting more of a look into like what their social dynamic is as a group. Yeah. We met her dad in this one. And then the, you know, the other plot is ramping up to Doc Ock being a threat. He still... Yeah isn't necessarily one yet. He hasn't faced off against Spider-Man, but we know it's coming. Um, And I'll say, I think I liked this one better than the last one, because I think there were just more moments that made me grin. This had a lot of funny stuff between the flash playing basketball and Gwen's little knife trick. And uh, the whole scene on the sidewalk with him trying to present the purse and the conversation with Jonah, I just think it had better jokes. Yeah. And and I was about to say this one, you know, I do like when we get to see Spider-Man do just some friendly neighborhood Spider-Manning. Um, so I wrote originally three out of five purses snatched, but as we were walking back through it, I think I would change that to three out of four purses snatched, which is the same ratio as three out of four metal arms as the last one. So, so I think three out of four for both of these issues, because you're right that you could read both of these as one issue very easily. Yeah, it's, it's not even like an arc, like there's no beginning, middle and ending. It's just the same middle continued across both issues. Um, I I think I'd also give it three out of four purses snatched. (laughs) Not by us. No, heavens no. This is an anti-purse snatching pod. We are (laughs) firmly against snatching purses. (laughs) Um, So what what are we reading next week? Yeah, that's a great question, John. Next week, we will be reading issues 16 through 18. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah, and then um, do you have any other business before we close out? As a matter of fact, I do. I have a couple other businesses to to talk about. We don't have to spend a lot of time on any of them, but 
do you have any other business first? Sure, yeah. Um, I would like to give a big thank you to Alyssa Seaman, who designed our artwork for this pod, and Ian Hickey, who uh, scored our music. Thank you, Alyssa and Ian. All right, and how about you, John? Okay, so I've got a couple. So first things first, you mentioned earlier that you watched Glass Onion recently. What did you think of that? Yeah, um, so we watched Knives Out on Christmas Eve, and then last night we watched Glass Onion. And have you seen it? Yes. Okay. I've seen both a couple times already. I've seen Glass Onion a couple times. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't want to make sure I wasn't spoiling anything. Um, I tweeted the second half of glass onion because it's definitely like a movie in two parts. The second half, I think redeemed the first half, but for a lot of the movie early on, I was wondering why they made, um, Benoit Blanc. Benoit. Benoit. I always see his name written. (laughs) Benoit Blanc. So grounded. Like the thing I liked about knives out was that he was always like, the most absurd person in the room at any given time. And you were trying to figure out if he's this genius or just like a bumbling idiot. And then in uh, glass onion, they pair him with like this whole cast of people who are like crazier and wilder and more like fantastical than him. And he has to play ironically. He's not a straight man in that movie, but the term like, literary term is like he's playing the straight man he's the he has to be the serious one who takes everything you know seriously and grounds the other characters Mm. and i did not like that for his character but then obviously the second act kind of explains why he was playing a certain role and it kind of fixes that but i would have liked more screen time of him being the way he was in knives out yep um I thought it was pretty good. I did not think it was nearly as good as Knives Out, which I really, really liked. Um, But I still thought it was interesting enough. The scene where he solves the murder mystery is. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Um, And there's there's some there's some really good scenes, but I did. I just didn't think it's kind of the problem with a lot of sequels in general, where they probably didn't plan on making two movies about it. They had one really good idea for a movie and had a great cast and that's knives out. And now they're just kind of trying to make a sequel. So the story's not quite as good. You know, it's more gimmicky that now they have this big cast getting together because that's what the first one did. So we need to do something like that. You know, the story kind of flips in the middle, just like the first one did where, you know, halfway through the movie, it turns and now we're seeing events from a different person's perspective. And then the same thing happened in this. And so I just, I I didn't think it was nearly as good as knives out. Still thought it was a good movie. Yeah, it's definitely solid. I think some people, because I've seen just glowing reviews for it everywhere. I think maybe that's a bit overstated, but I think you're right that we as a society probably should change our expectations from if something comes out and it's really good content that it needs to be followed up with like some kind of sequel. That's not always the case. I, I don't care. Make 15 knives out movies. I'll keep watching Benoit block and everything. 
<laughs> I was going to say, even if even if this keeps getting worse, like they've they've already said they're making a third one. I'm going to watch it. Good. I'll and still it, keep watching that garbage. <laughs> it could still it could be worse than Glass Onion and still be a good movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If anything, that just speaks to the volumes of like how good Knives Out was. Well, and, you know, if you put um, Daniel Craig and Dave Bautista and Edward Norton and Leslie Odom Jr. and um, Janelle Monet, some other really good actors and actresses that I can't think of. Is that who plays Andy slash Helen? Yeah, I thought she stole the show. Yeah, she was phenomenal. And um there's that one woman who's like named as Catherine, I think, who plays Agatha Harkness in Marvel, who's yeah. who I can't think of right now. Catherine but... Hahn. Yes, nice. You're not gonna make me look it up. Nice job. Um, okay, so I thought that was pretty good. Nice. Second, the Doctor Who trailer dropped on Christmas. I know Ooh, you don't yes. really watch Doctor Who, but it's no, I was good. gonna David talk- David Tennant's coming back, Donna Noble's coming back. We might I, have to do a bonus pod episode. <laughs> I saw that and I thought of you. And with the little Doctor Who knowledge I knew, like I, I saw David Tennant coming back and I'm like, oh, John's going to have some thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I'm very, very excited um, about it. He's coming back. Uh, you know, like I said, the companion Donna Noble's coming back. She's my favorite. Um, I even think her grandpa whose name is wilf in the show who the actor has passed away at this point which is really sad but i think i even heard he might have shot some scenes before he passed away and i will cry like a baby if he comes back david Tennant's like supposed to be everyone's favorite doctor right yep he is he's not my favorite i love him but my favorite is peter capaldi which i know i I told you about the other day because you were watching some doctor who this past weekend it was on in my house. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. And then this is the thing I texted you last week and I said, I've already got something interesting for us to talk about. This is what it was. I was watching Hulu or YouTube or something and like a five second trailer popped up on my screen and I don't know what the movie's called and I don't know what it's about but it was only Toby Maguire's face and he was saying something and then it ended. And I, it just made me laugh because I was like, they're just straight up advertising that movie by being like Toby Maguire's in this movie. You don't know anything else about it or anything. And I just think he should probably retire from acting because I can't what? see him and think anything other than that's Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, right? And I think that's the only role he should ever do again. And it also, I know I'm throwing hot takes at you here. And a lot of them. <laughs> um, it, it then made me think, what is another movie Tobey Maguire has been in that I could say And I specifically thought about this for minutes. I've got some. And I didn't look it up. I knew you would, but I can't think of any. So so I want you to think of some, and I wonder if I'll remember them. I know Molly's Game is about Tobey Maguire and how he's like a poker player or something. Um, But he's not in that. Jesse Eisenberg, I think, or Michael Sarah plays the character that's based on Tobey Maguire in that movie. 
Um, but I've never seen, I, I don't know Toby Maguire in anything except for Spider-Man. And Great I can't Catsby. see you son of a gun <laughs> and uh sea biscuit. Yeah, that was even back during the Spider-Man time, wasn't it? That was probably right when Spider-Man three was coming out. He was doing sea biscuit. Yeah. And I don't know what it would have been, but I know he's been in other stuff with. Oh, Leonardo. I know he's been in stuff. No, I mean, specifically with Leonardo DiCaprio, because they were like childhood friends from like being in Florida. some in some show or movie together. Um, well, I knew you would have I knew you'd have some movies that I'd recognize from him, but I was sitting there racking my brain and I was like, I don't. I don't recognize Tobey Maguire as anything other than Tobey Maguire <laughs> as Peter Parker. I don't even see him as that. He's just Tobey Maguire. I think <laughs> even, even when he came out during the last Spider-Man movie where he came back, I was like, that's Tobey Maguire pretending <laughs> to be Spider-Man. <laughs> They're all pretending. <laughs> Some of them are acting. We've got two actors and one pretender. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look up the trail. I'm going to find what movie that I saw that trailer of just so you can go watch it if you want to. Because so I'm I, telling you, it was five seconds and it was only him. I don't know anything about Babylon, but I feel like it might be Babylon. It, it, I'm looking at the his list of movies and that's the latest one. So it must have been that one. I keep seeing it advertised. And I could not tell you what it what it's about based off the advertisements. The only thing I've seen is five seconds of like Toby Maguire shouting. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what period it's from. And maybe that's the point. But it feels like I'll see something like a shot that's like an old Western and then something that's like looks like it's from like Prohibition, like the Great Gatsby era. And maybe I will have to check this out. Yeah. See what see what Babylon's about. What's the deal yeah. with Babylon? <laughs> Do they have those hanging gardens or not? <laughs> wow, that's a um, I'm not I'm not sure I believe in our education system enough to know if people will even understand the hanging gardens of Babylon. Jerry, it's Kramer. I watched Babylon. Call me back. Oh, <laughs> um, well, those those were my uh, those were my things to talk about. The Tobey Maguire movie and the Doctor Who trailer. All right. You want to end it here? Let's end it. All right. And it, it'll just end. <laughs> That's all for now, folks.